to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, and today, my guest on the old Skype on the phone is Keith Phipps, editor of the AV Club. Welcome to the show, Keith. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Keith, I have been a daily AV Club reader for years now, literally for years, and it's something I bring up constantly, both uh, on the show, on this podcast, and in my real life. But for those that aren't familiar, uh, how would you describe this publication? Uh, well, the AV Club is kind of a site for pop culture obsessives and also casual fans. But but uh, I think we tend to attract people who are as into the stuff we write about as as we are. Um, but we cover a little bit of everything that's pop culture from you know movies, television, music, books. Um, we don't. We used to cover video games, and we have kind of a spinoff site that does that now, uh, run by a guy named John Tatey. It's called the Gameological uh, Society, and that's uh, and that's a, a very good site as well. But that was uh, that was too much pop culture for us. We had to we had to farm that one out. But you guys are also kind of a spinoff of The Onion. Is that is? Am I describing that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we began in I think the name the AV Club was first used around 1994 as kind of the back pages of the print edition of The Onion. And it was run uh, at, at, at for years. And a very important person in the story um, is Stephen Thompson, who's the first editor, who's now at uh, NPR, uh, does is NPR Music and, and is doing great stuff there. Um, but uh, the name The AV Club comes... Uh, I, I've had to explain it a few times to people because... Not everyone had a high school with one, and I think they're probably – I don't even know if they have them anymore. I know it from Freaks and Geeks. I, I know right. like the general idea of an AV club, but I don't think we had one at our high school. I think we everyone actually, like has an AV club in their room mine now. either, but I, I knew what one was uh, just, just – I just knew what one was because they used to be fairly common. We'd, you know, people who would run all the audiovisual equipment, the projectors, the VCRs um, – you know, the, any, anything in a high school or, or any school, uh, they had like sort of a, a, a separate um, people who were kind of knew how that stuff worked. And it was not necessarily being part of the AV club was not necessarily a cool thing. Um, if you've watched Freaks and Geeks, you know that. So uh, a little bit of self-deprecating name there. And it became its own section in, in 1995. It's kind of like you had the onion. This is still how it is in the print editions. You have the onion, hilarious satirical comedy gets better every year uh, in the front half. And then the second half, you have um, uh, what we do, uh, pop culture coverage. And for years, it was the Onion AV Club. Now it's just the AV Club. Um, and as much as you know, we love the Onion, we're proud to be associated with them. And, and it's really a great partnership in, in many ways. Um, but you know, we, we've kind of had our own name for a while. And sometimes people confuse that. Um, but it is sort of developed our own identity. And you know, we, do, we do not do uh, hilarious satirical news. No, you guys are real news, but you're, real. but it's still very funny. Yeah, well, oh, thank you. We we try to we try to keep things, um, you know, we try to keep things flexible. So we, you know, if we're writing about No Country for Old Men, we can write about it in, in, in grave critic voices, and, and if we're writing about something that less less serious, we can we or less accomplished, uh, we can be funny about it. Is there any crossover between the staff of the AV Club and the Onion Prime, or is that uh, completely separate? Now it's completely separate. In the early days, it was a lot of like, oh, who has time to do this movie review? Why don't, you know, we'll send we'll send one of the comedy writers. Um, and kind of at the time I was coming in, which was I started freelancing in '96 and, and was full time in '97. Uh, that was 
Stephen was really developing it as his own section with its own identity. And, and I, I'll just say I, I played a role of that because I was someone who would just go see anything or write about anything. And very early on, we brought in uh, Nathan Rabin, who's still with us as our, as our head writer, who similarly uh, omnivorous and, and, and uh, uh, willing, you know, culturally omnivorous and, and willing to work hard and go see <clears throat> the Barney movie and write about it. For <laughs> us. Um, so um, the, 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 that's around the time it really kind of developed in its own its own identity. But yeah, there was, I mean, there was a time though when comedy writer Todd Hansen would go review the latest movie. And there was a period of transition where like Joe Garden, who uh, is just, just left, just left the onion, but was there, there for years. Uh, you know, I'd have a review of a, of a movie running next to a Joe Garden review. That was kind of a jokey review. And, and he would admit later to me that he would not, didn't actually go see the movie he reviewed. So there was a period of transition there where it was, uh, had a foot in the comedy world and a foot in, in uh, the pop culture, uh, criticism and, and journalism world. And you said you started in 96. I started writing in 96. My, my first review was, um, a review of the film Heidi Fleiss, Hollywood Madam, which is actually a pretty good, uh, documentary and also the film uh, Spy Hard, starring Leslie Nielsen, one of the uh, hilarious Leslie Nielsen movies that was not uh, uh, Airplane or, or Police Academy, or, or sorry, uh, Naked Gun in any way. Um, it was not so good, but I got I got paid five dollars to review it, and I paid seven fifty to go see it. So there's a net loss there at the beginning, but but in in the in, in the end, I think I've, it's been kind of a net gain choosing to accept that assignment. Spy Hard had that great Weird Al opening, though. That's true. That, that I mean, you could you could watch it for that and turn it off and have a very satisfying experience. But but really, watching beyond that, where it's sort of a parody of of, uh, of James Bond openings, you, you're you're in trouble. So you're taking a net loss on it. Was this your first job? Was that kind of like an internship and just getting your foot in the door? Um, no, I went. I was in Madison, Wisconsin, because I wanted to go to grad school after college, and that turned out to be. Not a great fit. I, I, I um, went to grad school in English literature and straight out of college, which I would actually recommend taking some time off. Uh, all you prospective grad students out there, take some time off. Uh, don't just go directly through. But um, I kind of realized I was in trouble fairly early on when I talked to a, someone else in my program and he said, I don't think anyone's here because they like reading. And I thought, you know, I'm kind of here because I like reading. <laughs> That's kind of mainly why why I pursued this this particular uh, discipline. Um, so I got my I got a master's degree, and my my first job after that was uh, handing out uh, coupons to incoming freshmen uh, via a temp agency, uh, and then working at a video store. Um, so I spent a year working at a video store and freelance writing, and a store called Four Star Video Heaven, which is still in existence in Madison. And uh, is that a it, good video store? It's a great video store, and actually, when I was looking at places to go to grad school, the fact that they had this great video store was one of the main reasons. Uh, was one of the reasons I wanted to go to Madison. It's a good town too. How many AV Club coworkers of yours uh, worked at a video store at any time of their life? At that particular video store, both Nathan and I worked there. Oh, really? Was that at the same time? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind. Of, that's how we got to know each other. And in a later class of uh, employees, there, my wife worked there. And prior to that, like a couple years before. It's probably more than a couple of years before uh, Dan Savage of Savage Love worked at this video store, 
And there's probably uh, notable alums uh, after that too. But and we were the first generation kind of growing up that had that kind of access uh, to 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 films. I mean, just uh, you know, in a place like Four Star, which was seemed at the time to have every film ever made or any film I can I can want to see, or more films I could ever actually get to, uh, was just felt like a godsend. It's like oh, they have they have films by Hal Hartley and Adam McGoy and all these these directors I read about in the fancy magazines whose films I never got a chance to see. I just meant at any video store. I didn't realize they had all worked at this specific video store. Yeah, Four Star Video Heaven's the secret source of, uh, of uh, at least a chunk of the AV Club um, and AV Club spouses. Um, but uh, other video stores, I'm trying to think if Scott Tobias worked at a video store for sure um, and was a projectionist. And which is close, which is close. Yeah, Noel Murray, I don't think, ever worked at a video store, but it certainly was a you know fertile uh, ground for people who wanted to write about movies. And, and for me, it was like the film school I never had. Um, I didn't even have any film classes in my undergrad. I just watched a lot of movies. And I'd been a film critic for my junior high newspaper and uh, kind of, you know, just put, it, put that aside for a few years while I went to high school and college and then decided I, I, it would be kind of fun to write reviews again. And the way I ended up at the AV Club was the someone I was in grad school with was dating um, a guy named Robert Siegel, who was shortly to become the editor of The Onion and is currently a screenwriter. He wrote uh, The Wrestler, and he wrote and directed uh, Big Fan, if you know those, those films. I do. I love both of them. Yeah, they're both terrific. Yeah, Rob's a super talented guy. And uh, um, he, uh, she introduced me to him. He said, well, talk to Stephen Thompson. So um, Rob and Stephen were the reasons I, I ended up there. I think usually newspapers or magazines, they have a film critic and they have a music critic. But you and all the other people at the AV Club seem to write about all these things and cover multiple um, types of media. Was that a conscious decision? Kind of. Not, I, I think initially it was because we were so short-staffed that, you know, someone's got to write about the new Guided by Voices album. Do you like to write about music, Keith? Um, yeah, sure. Um, but um, so, uh, you know, I think we've got to be able to specialize more as we've gotten as, as we've gotten a, a bigger. But even now that we have a freelance budget, which I didn't even have for years, but well, I can actually, you know, have writers who aren't on staff write about things, I like to keep it kind of a tight crew. I like to keep you. I do like people who don't necessarily specialize and who can 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 talk about different things intelligently, and you know could can review an episode of of say Parenthood and uh, an album if if necessary uh, at the same time. And you know I think kind of attracts people who do have a lot of interests. So you know, and I think it's it's I don't know. I I think it's also true of, of how we consume pop culture, like. You like you don't just like movies, right? No, I like music too. You also listen to music and watch television. But I talk about movies and I talk about TV a lot on the show. But I honestly don't think I could talk about music. I'm not that great at kind of isolating what it is I like about a song, and I don't know that I I, I can't talk about it in the same way. I think it's the toughest thing to write about for sure. Um, and there's the old dancing about architecture cliche, but there's something there's something to it, um, and, and and that it's. You know, you can write about it from an area of great musical technical knowledge, um, which I've, I've certainly talked to music critics who feel that's how things should be written about and kind of look down at people who don't, who aren't musicians writing about music. And you can write about how it makes you feel, you know, and, you know, there's, there's sort of a great tradition or, or maybe not so great tradition of English majors like me ending up writing about, you know, writing about Neil Young as, as, as if he were John Keats or something. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think, 
you have to consider your audience. And I, I think having the sort of people who like music and have good taste who can also write, even if they're, I think that's most of the battle right there, whether or not they know what an arpeggio is or not. So you said music is the hardest one to write about. Is movies the easiest? For me, yeah. And I, I, I've taken myself out of writing about new music. I, 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 I haven't kept up as well as I should. I'm sure I kept up with better than most people I went to high school with, for instance. But, but uh, there's always someone who knows more about bands coming up than I do. But, I mean, movies are what I, I've written about the most, what I like writing about most. It's, it's sort of what I uh, enjoy doing, even when I'm not getting paid for it, is, is watching films. Um, it's something like now I feel lucky that I have a job that requires me to write about film because I, I'm, I'm, you know, as, as a new dad, I'm, I'm a little short on time to actually watch films unless I'm, unless it's part of my job. So, but I mean, that's, 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 um, I think my first passion, uh, is movies, um, like from going back to when I was a little kid. I did read your Roxy Music discography review this week and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Do you like the band? I do, and I got into them because I'm into Brian Eno, and I was like, mm-hmm. Brian Eno was in this band. I should listen to this band. Uh, but I don't really, I don't, I don't know anyone that's into Roxy music, or I don't know that I know anyone that's into Roxy music. So I didn't really understand the history of the band and when he was there and when he wasn't, and uh, it gave me a context to listen to it in. Yeah, and the first two, I mean, are, the, are, are obviously they're very Eno-esque because he's in the band at that point. Uh, but you can certainly see where those early Eno albums come from, from those. But, but uh, I think they're a band that in America you kind of have to be introduced to by somebody uh, or else you're never going to hear them because they're really not in, in England and in, in, in Britain in general. They're, they're uh, uh, a part of the, the musical history there in a way that they're just not here. Yeah, they're way better at that there. I love them, though. They're one of my favorite bands. Yeah, it's really good. You mentioned that you finally get to watch movies now, or you just have to watch movies. I always wonder this, just about movie criticism in general. Like, how many movies do you see a week? Meaty less than, say, Scott Tobias, um, and less than I'd like to. I mean, as editor, um, you know, I have a lot of other responsibilities, so I just I tend to do one, maybe two movie reviews a week. So I try to, I try to, I try to keep a foot in the, in the game there. Um, and... I'm fine with that. I, I never really get tired even of watching bad movies, which I think is kind of a, a job requirement for, for that, um, which I think is also true of everyone else who writes about film film for us. But I, mean, I think Scott probably, I think on a busy week, he could do four or five films a week. So how much of his time is watching movies and just consuming versus, you know, quote unquote, working? Well, I, I mean, it's all part of the job. Obviously, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I, with, I think it depends. Like, I, I feel... I like to write quickly uh, after I see something, and I feel like for me, at least, a review should be an accurate reflection of my feelings after I I see something. So I try to get a review out at least in the first couple of days, and I try to take less time um, writing than I do watching it, which I don't know if that's true of of everybody. Is there uh, a review that you've written that you were particularly proud of and stands out to you as your favorite? Um. No, no. I, I mean, I, no, I'm, I'm much more prone to shame than uh, than pride. Um, so I, I I can stand by just about anything I've written since at least like 2001 or so. I keep moving that date up, but I go back and look at old stuff, and, and I think oh, I'm better than this. I'm better than I was then, you know. So um, anything I'm really proud of? No, I can't. I, I nothing really comes to mind. I'm sorry, I don't have an answer for that one. What's one that's brought you shame? Well, not sh- yeah, shame. Oh, yeah, let's, let's stick with shame. Uh, is uh, Inglorious Bastards, which I saw and I was completely baffled by. And I thought it was 
kind of fun but shallow and by far sort of the least memorable thing Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino had done and sort of kind of slight by his standards. And I wrote a review reflecting that. And then like, ah, this is the most forgettable film he's ever made. Final review. And like from the moment I found that review, I could not stop thinking about that movie. And when I watched it again, I thought this is maybe the best film he's done. But, you know, I stand by the review I wrote because it's how I thought at the time. Do you ever go back to update an old review with your new thoughts? I guess you guys do have a chance to revisit old material via columns and lists and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to give us, so, you know, we like to give ourselves a lot of opportunities not to just dwell in the present. Um, so there's there's always a chance to revisit stuff. I think yeah the other other film I, I remember re-reviewing and feeling totally different about was Mulholland Drive, which I wrote I wrote a review of when it first came out. I just started writing and, and didn't have much making much impression on me, and I thought uh, it just blew me away when I watched it again. What about when you guys review like a TV season box set or something? Someone can't possibly be watching all of Alf season one just to write a quick review of it that's two three paragraphs long, right? Um, for the most part, yeah, actually. Um, I mean, I know. You know, when, when Noel does like two seasons of like a, a Warner Archive thing and it's 44 episodes, like a combat or something. I know he doesn't watch every episode, but Noel's is an obsessive TV watcher and probably has seen most of these episodes before. Um, but, you know, I, I see I see uh, Nathan dutifully watching all every episode of Get a Life. He's going to review the Get a Life DVD. Um, and it's tricky because we're, we turn out more now than, than ever. I mean, uh, it used to be about filling a few slots in the print edition and then maybe throwing them up online. And now it's, it's just sort of an endless roll of, of content, um, every day. So it's, uh, it's maybe not as easy to do that as, as we used to, but we, but we, we really, if someone commits to something, they, they, they commit to it. What's it like when someone's like, all right, I got to get through this elf box set. I'm sorry to keep using <laughs> elf as an example. I don't even know if you guys reviewed elf. I don't even remember a specific thing about it. I don't think you did. On, I'm not sure it's out on DVD. And it must boy, be out on DVD. Isn't it high time it is out on DVD? It's, it's got that's like got to be top of the list if it's not. Yeah. Well, it ran for like it's maybe one of those things where they put out the first season and uh, you know there's, there's a lot of shows they put out. Yeah, like the first yeah. Like you can't get Family Matters season eight. You can get Family Matters season one. Oh, you can get maybe even season two or three. But uh, there's no way you can get that finale. Even Mary Tyler Moore show took forever to put out all all their episodes um, just because it didn't sell that well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of shows like that, but I think a lot of them now you can get online. Mm -hmm. Like, for some reason, for something we were putting together, we needed later episodes of Growing Pains, and, like, you can only buy season one, but the rest of them are on, like, Amazon Instant Video or something. Oh, well, good. They they should be treasured forever. But when something like that comes up and you got to work through that, does someone go home and watch it? Is there, like, a screening room you guys have? Well, there's um, a... We have a conference room that's um, got a television hanging in it and that's where people watch things or at their desk um, a lot. There's a lot of people hunched over computers with headphones in my office. Uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes eerie to walk back there and, and not, you know, no one looks up, no one says hi. Uh, we all like each other. We all get along great, but it's just everyone's kind of focused on stuff. I imagined uh, a couch and big comfy chairs and like popcorn and a bong. Uh -huh. That's not what's going on there? Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, you imagine it's probably like when, when Bart Simpson went to visit the Mad Magazine offices. Right, right. For people watching movies and stuff. No, it's not. And, and like even like, um, you know, some of our, our office uh, coworkers will speak of the, the – the, uh, odd silence of, of the AV club wing of, of the office. But uh, it's kind of what, you know, it's conditions we need to get stuff done. And there's, there is, there is 
Um, I think a lot of most of us try to keep things within office hours. I know I know I do, uh, but it bleeds over. You know, there's you know, you'll watch a movie at home or go see a movie at night or or uh, watch TV at, at, at home. You have to. Do you find it's still fun to watch TV at home, or is it kind of like, oh, I can't believe I'm still working? <laughs> yeah, I you know, if I didn't enjoy what I did, I wouldn't. I I, I think I'd hate it. But uh, um, but yeah, no, it's 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 still fun. And there's sort of this thing we talk about around the office where people tend to find ways to make things they enjoy into work. Like a couple years ago, Kyle Ryan and Genevieve Kosky and, and Nathan and a few others really started to get into podcasts. And, you know, let, let nothing be, you know, let, let there be no enjoyment that can't be turned into something for the AV club. Um, so now we have Podmass and we write about podcasts and we talked about, talk to podcast people sometimes. And, you know, so there's that. I, I think around, uh, you know, I, I, I read comic books and then, we didn't really do a lot of regular comic book reviews and I introduced that and into the paper too. I mean, TV itself for a long time, we didn't touch television. Um, and so that was sort of an area that was, you know, entirely for enjoyment. And then now, you know, it's, it's so I think most people read us. Um, we have more readers for television than any other section we do at this point. Yeah. I think actually I noticed if you put in, um, if you search for AV club on Google, all the suggestions are TV shows like AV club, breaking bad, AV club, mm. Mad Men. Is that, it seems like um, it's grown from, you know, you, like you said, you guys not doing TV reviews to it being one of the most important features of the site. Yeah, absolutely. And we started that in 2007. Not that long ago. I think we got in early. Um, we were heavily inspired by Alan Steppenwald. You know Alan Steppenwald? Yeah, you know, I, I'm from New Jersey, and sure. he started out as the uh, Star Ledger TV critic. So I've been reading him for a long, long time, and he's great. You know, my, I think my wife was the one who introduced me to his blog, and, and he was very smart writing about television and sort of a – um, exacting but conversational style and he wrote about a lot and I think part of my thinking was well if one person can do this we've got good writers why don't we pick 10 shows write about every episode start it with the fall we'll start it with the uh, with the fall lineup in 2007 I um I did the first one and it was the first episode of tell me you love me do you remember that show uh, no, it's it that, that title that could be like a hundred shows. That's, it was an, that's almost every sitcom that's on the air is called that. It wasn't a sitcom though. It was an hour long drama on HBO. Oh yeah. That's the one with Adam Scott. With Adam Scott. Right, 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 exactly. right. And his penis. And his, and his, and his fake penis and fake ejaculate, uh, in the first episode. It was an interesting show, but yeah, uh, it's like a good show. I'm like really sorry to demean it to just like, Oh, that's the one with penis. It was a good enough show. It wasn't a great show. Well, it was say. it was an ambitious show. Like it doesn't. It's. I feel like the creators would be mad if they hear me being like, "Oh yeah, that's the show with all the nudity, right?" Yeah, it's, it's the old ladies fucking. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, that was that, and we just picked like I think ten shows to cover regularly, and which we did, and I kind of kept it tight. And then a out of the blue, uh, I got a Facebook message from a writer named Todd Vanderwerf. Um, say, I write about television. Would you like me to write about Rescue Me, the Dennis Leary um, fireman show? And I, I said, oh, we don't really need that show cover because we only cover a few select programs here at the AV Club. Um, but I liked his clips, and he seemed like a hardworking guy. And I put him on Rescue Me, and Todd just started doing more and more to the point where it sort of became absurd not, not to bring him on as an employee, and, and uh, he's now our uh, television editor. Um, so that was um, – he was a huge part of our expansion and, and uh, uh, sort of been one of the defining voices in, in our TV. So now we have actually two full-time TV people, Todd and, and Eric Adams, and they both work um, a lot. And, and we cover a lot. You know, and, you know, Todd kept 
finding more and more writers and assigning more shows and, you know, stayed within the budget we gave him. But uh, I kept thinking, yeah, do we really need uh, this many uh, TV writers, um, cover this many shows? And um, it just kept working for us. So now it, it's became like sort of the, the tiny little section that, that devoured the rest of the AV club. Um, we have a lot of people come to us for television stuff. That's cool. Do you, do you see something uh, now that maybe you're starting to cover or thinking about covering that could be the next TV, like the next frontier that you're not writing about now could, could become a major part of the site? You know, it's tough. I, I, I can't think of anything. Um, we launched a comedy section and that's, you know, kind of, it's kind of, kind of like TV was a few years ago where we're just giving it a little bit and see how it does, you know, in terms, in terms of covering like more stand-up specials and more comedy podcasts and web series. Um, that's, that's just slowly rolling out right, right now. That, I mean, that could be, um, a big thing for us, but but I feel like we we covered most of our our bases at this point. Um, but who's to say? I mean, you know, um, well, what should we be covering? Can you think of anything? No, I guess the only thing that would jump to my mind is podcasts. I'm obviously biased, but uh, to say the least. But I think it's like the kind of thing that uh, more and more people will be listening to more of and taking seriously. And it's hard to find the good ones, honestly. Yeah, well, we we have our, out there. We have Podmas, our our, our our weekly reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's been um, odd um, because uh, some people don't like to be, without naming names, some people don't like to be reviewed. And some people uh, take objection if, if your reviews are anything um, but positive and will mention that, um, that uh, you know, it's for free. What do you want? That's kind of an odd. Uh, it's kind of an odd thing. I mean, you are putting something, something out there for the public, and and we're sort of there to, to steer people toward the good stuff and away from the stuff that maybe isn't um, doesn't work as well as it, as it could. Um, so it's been it's been interesting to expand into that world. Yeah, I guess it's different in that movies like there's studios trying to shove them down your throat and sure. really turn a buck on it, but podcasts are just these people putting them out there. Right, exactly. If you guys want to review this one, you can say any mean thing you want. <laughs> as long as we link to it, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, for me, and I think for probably a lot of people listening, consuming and talking about pop culture all day sounds like a dream job. Are there elements of the job that you don't enjoy? It's a lot of work, um, and it, it, it really, you know, we, we publish... We take a little bit of time off around Christmas. Um, otherwise, we're putting up stuff um, every weekday and on television on, on weekends as well. Um, and it's it, it, it's a grind. It can wear you down, and you can kind of like feel like you're rushing through things, uh, maybe not enjoying them the way you would have if you didn't have to. Um, that said, I mean, it is a minor complaint. It is, it is a, a dream to be able to write about um, pop culture for, for a living. Um, there's also the issue of, of, you know, you do have to worry about traffic. You have to worry as we've gotten bigger. Um, you know, we used to be the sort of this, this more or less forgotten um, subsection of the Onion, and 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 now um, we're bigger. And and with with uh, expansion comes concerns. Um, so you know that that's that's always it's always a. Um, not the most fun thing because you want to just put everything out and just say, I hope you love this and to kind of forget about it. But uh, it's not always the way it works. What are the other parts of your job as an editor? Because there's other things uh, besides just reviews. You guys are like making decisions oh. about what to cover. Yeah. So, so yeah, my, my job on any given day is a lot of different things. It's, it's um, working with writers obviously is, is an important part, but working with the other 
uh, employees, um, the other editors and writers there, and, and uh, choosing what, like you said, cho- choosing what we cover, choosing how we cover it, um, you know, coming obsessively going to the calendar and say, why don't we put this here? Why don't we put this there? Uh, have we, have you set up that interview with, you know, have we tracked down Paul Thomas Anderson yet? Which we haven't, um, because he's elusive. Um, what should go on the cover of the print edition this, this given week? There's, there's, there's all that. There is, you know, placement on the page, gathering graphics. Um, there's a, millions tiny pieces that need attending to it in, in any given um, moment um, and uh, it's a you know it's just there's a, there's a lot to attend to. but what are the parts of the job that make it all worth it what's the most fun the most fun is is you know I mean there's getting to go to say like Mission Impossible 4 and IMAX with some co-workers um, at the end of the day uh, as part of the job I and mean, you can't complain about that right I mean what what a, what a uh, who wouldn't want that as part of their part of their work? It must be fun to see these things early too. Like, did you see the Dark Knight Rises before everyone? I didn't. I had a chance to, but I waited to see that one with my wife because I wasn't reviewing it. But but yeah, seeing things early is definitely a huge part of the appeal. Um, nice perk. Yeah. Well, and a required perk. I mean, if you want to have your reviews out in a timely fashion, uh, if if, you're not, if they're not showing it for you early, that's when you start to to wonder what's wrong with it. When you're going to see a movie just with your wife and you're not reviewing it, are you in a different mode where you're just like, all right, I just got to watch this. I'm just going to watch this Batman movie and have a good time. A little bit. You can kind of relax knowing that you don't have to say anything about it, but I could end up writing about that movie um, you know, two years from now or something. And, and it would, uh, so it's, it's hard to turn it off. It's, it's, it's hard to be uncritical. Yeah. It seems like the mental catalog that must exist there to write those inventories. How does, how does that work? The inventories are like, um, I don't know. How would you describe them? They're, um, we choose a, usually a fairly specific topic, um, a little, uh, um, uh, a, a niche within a niche of pop culture and, and, and write about them. Um, I can always, I can never forget what we, what we just did. Um, I can tell you the one we're doing this week, which is a little more conceptual, which is, is we're doing a whole week, um, around the year 1992, just putting out a lot of content uh, about stuff related to that. So we came up with an inventory of, of, um, items of pop culture that kind of explain what the world was like in 1992. Okay. And that was, uh, so there's things like in Lethal Weapon 3, there's all these... Um, the toilet political, paper? Oh, no, that's to- two. That's two, that's two. But there's, in all of them, but but Lethal Weapon 3 being the one that happened to come out in 1992, there's always there's all these political messages, because Richard Donner would always put uh, left-wing messages into his, um, you know, gun-crazy action films. For some reason, um, well, for obvious reasons, he felt deeply about uh, the issues of armor-piercing bullets, and and, and sometimes they were um, very specific. Like in *Lethal Weapon 3*, there are a lot of anti-fur messages, even to the point where at one point Mel Gibson is is speeding toward a semi-trailer with a um, anti-fur message on it. Um, so there. That's what we just did. But in terms of how inventories work in general, we... we wait, wait, and I want to hear more about the political themes of Lethal <laughs> Weapon, because I haven't seen those movies in a while, and it never oh, yeah, occurred to me there's something deeper going on there. They're loaded with le- le- lefty messages. Um, lethal, lethal Weapon 2 is, it makes a major point of being anti-apartheid. Yeah, uh, I, rem- I actually that one I did see recently, and there was some weird... Because that's the one, in addition to the big toilet paper scene... Uh, there's the, what's it, the South African diplomat. The villain is like a South African diplomat, right? 
Right, and, and, and claiming diplomatic immunity. And, uh, but it's also the one where Danny Glover's oldest daughter is an aspiring actress, and she appears in a condom commercial. So you get a little safe set, you know, 19, you know early 90s uh, right, safe right. sex messaging. Um, Lethal Weapon 3 has a, the first stuff. Lethal Weapon 3 also, I think, has um, some dialogue about um, how you shouldn't eat tuna fish because of, of um, irresponsible tuna practices. Um, tuna fishing practices that kill dolphins. So there's, there's, there's it all put in there not too subtly. And we've looked before, there's actually an anti NRA signs hanging up, I believe, in the police station, which is unlikely. I, I, I haven't been to a lot of police stations, but it seems um, unlikely. Do those movies hold up? Are they good? I haven't. Watch the whole thing. I found the scenes I was looking for for Lethal Weapon 3. I remember Lethal Weapon still, uh, last time I watched it, I remember holding it very well. And I, I think it's one of those series where each one's a little worse than the last. I remember yeah. the fourth one was kind of hating it. And, and it was a matter of, like, it kind of made sense. It made sense for Joe Pesci to be in the second one as part of the plot and its comic relief. But why would that, like, that character <laughs> yeah, keep yeah. coming back in, in subsequent movies. It just didn't make any sense at all. I saw the first one on TV just a, a moment of I'm now realizing I've seen the Lethal Weapon movies more recently than I realized. <laughs> and uh, I just saw the part where they jump off the building wearing handcuffs. Uh-huh. And it's that's the, and it's like a big stunt. And they show it in slow motion from a lot of different angles while Mel Gibson's like, Whoa! you know, and it, it's really drawn out. It, it feels like a movie from a different era because they just keep showing this one big stunt over and over again where if you put that in a movie today like it would be nothing to show someone jumping off a building you know well you couldn't fake it as easily then right um, right and i i think i don't know maybe maybe i'm an old fogey but i i find that that's more effective than you know having uh say having say bradley cooper like you know jump 14 stories from from building to building or whatever he did in in, in uh in, in, uh, in, uh, in, in, was, he was Green Lantern, wasn't he? No. No, that was Ryan no. Reynolds. Oh, right. How can I get them? I'm sorry. Probably. No. Probably Ryan Reynolds. How can I get them confused? Did he do that in Limitless? Because I didn't see Limitless, but if he jumps 14 feet between buildings, I might. Limitless is kind of fun, actually. It's yeah, kind I've of, heard that. I kind of not great movie. Um, I, I, en- I enjoyed it. Uh, although the, the drug in that that like sort of enhances your brain to make you the super accomplished person can go all the time. It has horrible side effects. I think I would have taken that drug before I could hear what the side effects were. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's the fun of the movie, though. Yeah, I guess so. So we were talking about the inventory. We got sidetracked as I wanted. Yeah, to we got sidetracked. Uh, so what item from *Lethal Weapon* three represents 1992? Oh, just just the messaging of it. It's, it's, it's kind of specific to that to that era. Um, sort of like that was a hot button at the time. Hot button issue at the time. Armor piercing bullets figure into the plot, and that was a hot button issue at the time. So uh, it's kind of you know you're watching a movie from 1992 because this stuff pops up in it. But that one, I mean, the way we do these is people brainstorm topics. We talk about them in the meeting and say that's a good idea. That's not a good idea. Um, and so on. I, I, I think they're getting more obscure and, 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 and Baroque uh, in there uh, as, as we go along because we did some easy ones early on. And now we're doing two a week. Um, but what happens then is we um, usually we, p- we pick some topics, we come up with some obvious examples, we assign those in the editorial meeting, uh, which is a meeting of about – I think at this point, like 12 of us that meet, uh, that are in the office and, and meet and discuss these things. And then it's thrown out to a larger group from there. And then 
one person heads it up and uh, we, everyone kind of brainstorms, you know, ideas and, and then one person has to collect all the entries and, and, and comb out any inconsistencies and put them into to one uh, uh, wonderful piece. What, ma- what do you like look for when you're picking an inventory? Something that's not obvious, something that um, a billion other sites that do lists now um, haven't done before we got there. Something we can put our own twist on and kind of um, speak to what we do best, which is sort of really dig into something and, and ex- explain it um, in a smart way and research it. And, you know, something's fun. I mean, you know, uh, no, they don't, they're not all fun, but I, but I think something that sort of would be a, a fun thing to read and pass around is, is something we look for. They also seem like they would be uh, difficult to do because you can't really Google them. You, like, need those brains in the room. You can't just Google what are the most 1992 things. You need someone that's like, I think there was an episode of A Different World right. where this crazy thing happened, and uh, you, just, you need to put these, these brains together to get that. And that's the other thing is, is you have to have people that were into this before they were doing it professionally. I don't think you kind of end up here. Like, I don't think it's either, either you know, this or you work at Business Week. I, I think you end up here because this is, this is, this is your, your home. This is the only place where you really kind of fit in. I got to ask you about some pop culture stuff just because I feel like I'm hanging out with Michael Jordan. I want to play a little bit of basketball, you know, after being <laughs> in the NBA club for so long. I have a few random things I wanted to, to just run by and get your take on. Sure. One is this thing that we talked about once on the podcast and forgot about, but then it became big news this weekend, and I don't know if we'll get a chance to bring it up otherwise. The Oogie Loves. Yeah. We did another episode of the show, and we are actually talking about conspiracy theories, but me and my friend Pat, uh, we, watched, we just happened to watch the Oogie Loves trailer randomly before the episode. We had to open the episode talking about it for 10 minutes because it seemed so crazy, and I did not hear anything else about it until this weekend when it was – the biggest box office bomb of all time, apparently, and everyone sent me this story, and it was great. So the Oogie Loves, the thing about that is we, we cover just about every movie, and usually it's they, they screen them for us, or it's some terrible movie that we know is opening on Friday. Um, it's not, you know, the, it's not screened for critics, so we go see it. But with that, they didn't screen it for us. I'd never heard of the Oogie Loves. It looked at like it was, and it was aimed at very small children. Yeah, it's, so, I think it, it might even be for like pre-verbal children, just like it, literally people that can't even talk yet. I think it is, and 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 so we're like, oh, let's just skip it, and then it turns into this huge story. I, you, I'm guessing you're familiar with Nathan's My World of Flops. Yeah, call. I own it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're trying to send Nathan to catch it in the theater before it disappears, um, because it sounds like it's something that should be seen. I mean, the fatal flaw of that is, and as as the the father of a 16-month-old, is the target audience is not someone you would actually take to the movies. Well, that was what was kind of interesting about it was, from what I could gather from the trailer, they had this idea where it was like an interactive movie, and you could sta- kids were supposed to stand up and dance, and it, <laughs> there was like a call and response. So it was like, get the babies out of all the other movies. We'll put them in all in this one theater instead. What, what what theater owner wants that? Yeah. What theater wants a, 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 a house full of, uh, of screaming pre-verbal kids? And th- I mean, it sounds adorable. The last one that came out like that was Delgo. Do you remember Delgo? Kind of. I don't know. I guess it I- was another failed piece of animation that took forever to come out to the point where like major cast members had died. something like five years before the film came out. And and no one uh, went to see it, and we, we sent Nathan for what was then uh, my year of flops. <laughs> I love uh, we sent Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to. Uh, you know, he's he's our man on the ground for that kind of thing. Yeah, Anne Bancroft was in it, and Anne Bancroft had been dead for several years when it came out. How do you review something like that though? That's for babies. 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of glad we, we skipped that and we can write about it now for, for my world of flops. But I mean, we review kids' movies, but most kids' movies, um, especially now, are, are at least having older viewers in mind. Like, I'm very curious to see Madagascar 3 because I hear it's a very odd movie. Yeah, I've heard that too because it's written by uh, someone interesting. Oh, back. Yeah, which is odd for a Madagascar 3. Right. I mean, there, there is, you know, you get in movies sometimes that you realize you're so far from the, from the target audience, but you just kind of have to figure out what it's trying to do and determine whether or not it gets there. Like, I reviewed the first um, VeggieTales movie. Are you familiar with the VeggieTales franchise? I am. I've actually yeah. never seen any VeggieTales movies, but, which is, but I know what they are and that they're what their deal is. And they're yeah, they're aimed at, aimed at they're they're um, animated films aimed at, aimed at Christian kids, and I've it's not it's like I would choose to seek out on my own, but on its own terms, it wasn't bad. It had the message was very benign. The proselytizing was was very much couched in. Uh, you should follow this because this is what it means to be a good person. The characters were enduring and the songs were, were, were you know, not super annoying. So you had to give it a pass for because it's, it's doing what it needs to do. I mean, it's not say I seek out on my own for any reason, but, uh, but uh, um, it's, not, it's not harming the universe by existing. Which is really all you can ask for sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. What have you seen lately that's good? What should I be getting into? What have I seen lately that's good? Um... I saw Argo, and I, and I don't want to spoil my review, but I will say that that is a that is a that is a good um, that's a good movie. I saw Dread today. Oh, how was Dread? Not good. I'm oh, really? We, you're talking to uh, Darren Franish from Entertainment Weekly, and he said he liked it. Yeah, I was exchanging some messages with Darren uh, about that. I'm not I'm not sure why he enjoyed it. I thought it was just really kind of kind of grim and and mostly um, uh, seems like it was mostly shot in like one kind of warehouse set where they turned off the lights and hoped for the best in terms of people actually being excited by a lot of gunfire and CGI blood. Um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't for me. What's the deal with judge dread? Why is what I I don't, it's a British character. So I just never, I don't, I know he's something about it is good and interesting because people talk about it and they keep trying to make it into a movie, but I don't know what, what, what's, do you know what the deal with that character is? I think he's the Roxy music of, 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 uh, comic book characters. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. If you're British, you're, you've it's, he's an iconic. But um, I haven't read it in years. I mean, I read some stuff in the '80s, and and it has um, the premise is that he in the post-apocalyptic future, he's sort of judge, jury, and occasionally executioner. Uh, all all uh, police for, police the police and the and the law and order have been condensed into uh, into just the police uh, force going around uh, um, stopping crime and and passing sentence at the same time. Um, and it's sort of as the, what the stories I've read that I liked best um, were sort of this dark take on on the, the law and order mentality and sort of this idea of uh, you know justice you know swift justice uh, with with no mercy being being administered uh, as a as the usual system and it could be you know it has this dark comedy element uh, to it but it did, this film did not capture that I have not seen the Sylvester Stallone Rob Schneider film I can't really imagine that that got it any better. One element of dread that I'm legitimately interested in is the casting of the villain who is Cersei from Game of Thrones. She's really good too. She's like my favorite part of the, of the, of the film because she's very soft spoken. She's playing like the scarred drug lord who destroys people with her teeth and has really messed up uh, dental work or no dental work rather and yet 
uh, still a fairly attractive lady beneath all that, but but uh, um, but she's very quiet. It's a very it's a very uh, it's a very nuanced performance in a film without a whole lot of nuance to it. The movie seemed from the trailers like it might possibly be. Uh, I don't want to say a ripoff because I don't I don't think this was something they actively stole, but very very similar to the Raid Redemption. Yeah, that's the impression I get. That's a movie. It's like top of my list of things I, I need to catch up with. But but that's sort of like going into one building and infiltrating it through the levels. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's sort of it's sort of the same thing. I, I think it's probably coincidental. Um, I imagine I, from what I've heard, the raid pulls it off better because it's just seemed like the same set recycled over and over again. What's good right now that's not a movie? What's good that right now that's not now a, that Breaking Bad's over? What do I have to live for? I know we're kind of in a dead zone right now, and I, and I haven't heard much great about what's coming out on television either. Um, so I don't know. I think nothing. I think, I think we're, we're, we're in a, a cultural dead zone right now for, for a few weeks. You know, now's a great time to catch up on Deadwood if you haven't seen it. Maybe The Wire if you're still missing that one. The canon, the, 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 the Pantheon rather that you, that you elected, yeah, that's right? What, what did you think of that Pantheon? I thought it was good. Although I have Deadwood here waiting to, that is my blind spot among the Pantheon. I've, I've never watched Deadwood. I've seen most of John from Cincinnati. But I have not seen uh, Deadwood, so I need to, to catch up with that. And I like westerns too, so that, that I'm looking forward to. But you can stand by; I think you can stand by all those pantheon choices. Yeah, those I don't are, think they were controversial. The, this was, and the Breaking Bad episode we talked about this: that the pantheon of dramas on TV in this post-Sopranos world of modern television is The Sopranos, The Wire, uh, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, and Deadwood. I think you're right that there were there were there were shows that looked like they were going to make it, and they just they just didn't. Like even before, I mean, I don't like the Battlestar Galactica finale too much. Um, I'm not alone in that. I don't think that's a controversial opinion. But I think even before then, I felt like it was maybe spinning its wheels a little bit before they got to the finale. There's some it, terrible episodes of Battlestar Galactica. There are no bad episodes of The Wire, but there are some terrible episodes of Battlestar. What's your least favorite episode of Battlestar? Um. Mine's the algae planet. Do you, do you remember the algae planet? I kind of do. I remember hating the Duala love triangle in season three. And I don't remember any specific episodes, but I just remember the end of season three having a lot of love triangle stuff and not being into that. Right. Well, they have to do something. You know, you can't just float through space all that time. But yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I feel like those are that and, and, and Lost. Same knock um, on Lost, as much as I love Lost. And I, I hold Lost is like probably my personal bias pick if I could, if I could like put a guilty pleasure almost in a pan. It's not even a guilty pleasure, but you know, something that uh, I want to put there because I love it so much, even though I know it doesn't belong, but there's some terrible episodes of Lost. I think that w- that's what's holding it back. Well, and I think actually, that's a weird show where I actually think the wheel spinning seasons were my favorite though. The, oh, that's a controversial the, opinion. The time travel, like the, when they were time traveling back to the 70s, uh, maybe it speaks to my own personal um, sort of uh, fantasies of being able to travel uh to the recent past or, or the, the world of my childhood uh but uh, that was um that was my favorite sort of section of that show i like lost pretty much through the end by the end i was just like so enamored with it i just like forgave pretty much anything it was just like mm-hmm. happy to see it on the air yeah no i i didn't i didn't i didn't hate any of it um I, I felt that the the ending was unsatisfactory but interesting in its way but i, I felt like you know it was not you ended up being sub pantheon with that one. Do you see anything on the air right now that has a chance at getting into the pantheon? That's not there already. 
Let me think about that for a second. I mean, Mad Men, you're saying, is in there. Yeah, we're putting Mad Men in there, which I think is fair. It's been on four or five years now. I think it's earned it. I'm, I'm confident that that will not totally fall apart. Um, I'm trying to think. Are you, are you including things like um, BBC series like uh, Sherlock? Or? Oh, that's interesting. Sherlock's kind of weird just because I think Sherlock movies. It feels movies. like movies, doesn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I actually was talking to someone today, and I was like, it's basically the first season of three little movies you have to watch. It feels like a, a sort of a really polished version of like Columbo movies of the week or something. There's also only six of them, um, right. you know, six of these little movies. So it seems unfair to compare it to something like Mad Men that's done 60 or 70 episodes. Right. I mean, I think I mean, we're talking about dramas, but I feel like uh, Louis is, is, a, is a strange hybrid of a show that, that is a different show from week to week. And, and consistently, I, it's, I think it's great almost every week. Um, I mean, but it's and it doesn't feel like we're talking about separating comedies from dramas. Obviously, obviously, it's a comedy, but that feels more in line with sort of like the the I don't want to use the word cinematic because it seems snobbish, but the more cinematic shows that you're talking about um, uh, for the Pantheon. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I'm talking about like Lost and how I I will pretty much forgive Lost for anything. I even love the I uh, I'm one of the few people on Earth who loves the Nikki and Paolo episode of that show. Do you have anything like that? Is there like an actor when you see him, you just know you have a weakness for them and uh, you're going to like the movie a little bit better? Oh, yeah, there's, there's I mean, there's always a lot of character actors. And of course, now I'm, I'm blanking on, on all of them. But there's certainly people um, that will improve anything. That, well, I mean, you know, Christopher Walken improves anything he's in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any, his scenes in any movie, his scenes in Geely, I could watch his scenes in Geely over and over again and, and you know, forget the rest of the film of course but uh uh there the, yeah there's a there is a little bit of that yeah does that affect your review of the movie that like you have these weaknesses for these people you know i don't think it's that because i think i think like you can sort out you can say hey so-and-so was really good and 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 uh and you know that's a standout performance i think i run into trap where i think i took myself off dog movies because i realized i have a soft spot for dogs that'll make me <laughs> even uh you know even like i remember giving a passing kind of a passing review to the movie because of win dixie do you remember that yeah, at all? yeah 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 and that movie has a dog with a cgi smile on it uh, and I, and I had to question I, I know you know, you, you, i know my judgment's off but it's the dog it's endearing uh, so i kind of let other people do the dog movie beat uh, these days because because of that have you seen any of the buddies movies like space buddies it's like that airbud spinoff Oh no! I don't even think I've seen the original. I followed the Arab. I, I, I wasn't even aware of that. I, I, I guess I followed the from a distance without actually watching the movies. Followed the development of the Airbud series and the various sports that that Bud and his offspring would play. But I didn't realize he had gone into space. Oh yeah. Well, Airbud Air is a spinoff, and it's the Air Buddy series. Uh-huh. And they, the difference is, in addition to them being puppies, they talk. Mm. The, you know, Airbud that played it real. He was like a real dog. <laughs> he he sure. wasn't like slam dunk. But these dogs, uh, crack-wise, they fart. I'm sure. Yeah, kids love farts. That was. Uh, I don't think there was any fart jokes in, in in the in in the stuff I watched growing up. Growing up, and now it's all fart jokes, right? Well, certainly, if you put five talking puppies in a movie, I think right. you can expect at least one of them to be farting. They they may pee on things they're not supposed to pee on too. I'm guessing. But I think they they have gotten increasingly outlandish in each sequel. Like in the first one, they were just hanging out and talking, and then they like there's a snow buddies, and then they went into space by accident, mm. and then there's a, a like a Halloween themed one. And I just saw 
that they just came I didn't just come out with it, but I, I, I don't follow these things regularly, so I just learned of the existence of Treasure Buddies, and it's like an Indiana Jones riff with the dogs, and they're all like wearing sunglasses with sparkles on the cover. Do they wear the hat? One of them's wearing the hat, and there's also a camel. I'm assuming the camel talks. Mm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's, it's, it's CGI has made so much easy, you know, made it so easy to do that now. Yeah. And it, it I think you, you should really have to work if you're going to have a talking animal in your film it shouldn't be that easy what are you most excited about that's coming up on the av club on the av club i'm really excited on 1992 week which you know we're trying to do a few conceptual weeks just to see if we can uh find some odd thing and and peg a lot of content to it we did a week um on malls we did malls week just because well genevieve kosky one of the editors there um on our inventory brainstorming list just had a thing that said malls, question mark, and it never got erased. It just kind of stayed up there. Um, and we couldn't think of an inventory to do with it, so we decided to do a whole week of content around that. So I think we're going to try to do a few more things uh, like that. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I don't want to just be a nostalgia site, but it, it has been fun going um, back to the world of 1992 and, and writing some stuff about that. Anything else we could plug? Plug? Abclub.com. Um, uh, a lot of us are on Twitter. I, I'm kphips3000. Um, on Twitter, and you can find most of our Twitter handles on the site. We have a podcast of our own, which is very occasional these days. A little too uh, occasional, if you ask me. I know. I know. It's, they're hard to do, and Kyle Ryan, who's the driving force behind them, uh, is just had a baby. Uh, babies just ruin everything, man. Um, so uh, he's been out of the office, so we've been, we've been trying to do that a little bit uh, more, more often. Um, other stuff to plug? There's various video series you can check out on the site as well. Um, but just avclub.com is the main thing. Is it like the podcast all the time in that office? Do you guys have these kind of conversations like we just got to have all the time? I'd actually be lying if I said it wasn't <laughs> because it is a fun place to hang out and there's there's people um, who want to talk about uh, what they just watched um, or what they just listened to. And uh, there's, there's a lot of quiet time, but there's also a lot of uh, – of striking out conversations just like this one all day. That sounds really uh, fun. Yeah, it's 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 it is all right. I got to tell you, that's cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Keith. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast, Jeff. Uh, okay. I have this huge idiot grin on my face right now. I don't know if you can hear how much I am smiling because the next thirty seconds are going to be so fun for me. First, I get to once again thank Keith Phipps uh, from the AV Club. Uh, If you're not reading the AV Club every single day, obviously that's something I recommend doing. Love it. Thank you again, Keith. So much fun talking to him. Next week's guest. uh, This is unbelievable that this is going to happen. I'm still reeling from it. Next week on the show, I will be talking to Jay Levy, who has been Weird Al Yankovic's manager... For 30 years, Jay has been with Al from the very beginning, before he had a record deal, until today. No one loves Weird Al more than me, and no one knows Weird Al better than Jay. Jay, and this is also uh, unusual for a manager, uh, also collaborated creatively with Al. He directed a lot of the music videos, like Eat It, and he wrote and directed UHF. Now, guys... Uh, I'm sure, I don't remember when, I'm sure I brought up my love for Weird Al on this show before. Um, And if I haven't, it's probably not a huge leap for you to uh, guess that I am a huge Weird Al fan. Huge! I mean, just such uh, an important person in my life, honestly. 
Uh, and I'm so excited to bring that to you guys. Here is a small clip from that interview. From day one, as anyone who knows Al's story, we've always asked for permission from the writers mm-hmm. and the artists. It's just Which legally you don't have to do. Well, it's tricky. Um, we don't know that for sure. No one's ever tested it to that degree. It's been tested in court at the Supreme Court, actually, um, with a case with, Lou, uh, with Two Live Crew. Right, the pretty woman. And, and Roy Orbison, that's right. But it was highly, highly um, uh, selective in terms of the ruling that the court made. It was very nuanced. So you could look at that ruling and not necessarily instantly come to the conclusion that there's you know, a First Amendment right here mm-hmm. or anything like that. But nonetheless... We never decided we wanted to try it. I mean, Al, as a, uh, he is a very easygoing, non-confrontational kind of person. And in his mind, he, never, he always wanted the artist to be in on the joke. And his type of humor was always so good-spirited that we, were go- we just figured that they would be. And then they were. I mean, when we contacted almost, you know, I mean, 30 years ago to now, I mean, we can count on basically one hand the number of people who don't have a sense of humor, who, who basically said no. Mm-hmm. Um, but So he just decided from day one, let's get permission. So I went to the writer of I Love Rock and Roll, whose name was Jake Hooker. Not Joan Jett. Not Joan. She did not write it. Mm-hmm. That's right. So Joan would have nothing to say about, you know, even though, you know, I don't know if Jake ever actually went to Joan and said, by the way, there's this unknown guy named Weird Al who's going to do this parody. I hope you're cool with it. Of the, you know, the song that I, Jake, wrote, I don't know that he ever actually did that, frankly. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, the songs are written or co-written by the stars, by the, by the artists. Uh, yeah, you are going to hear that on Tuesday on this podcast. You will, believe me, you are going to hear the fuck about it if you follow me on Twitter, where I am at Jeff Rubin Show, on Tumblr at jeffrubinjeffrubin.com, uh, Facebook fan page, youtube.com slash Jeffreubin. There is a mailing list. I never bring this up, but it's true. There is a mailing list you can sign up for uh, at jeffreubinjeffreubin.com if you want to get an old-fashioned email about it. We can do that. We can do that. Go to jeffreubinjeffreubin.com. You can enter your email address. You will get an email every week. I will not spam you with anything else. I don't have anything else going on, quite frankly. Uh, Keith Phipps and Weird Al's manager. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to top this for a one-two punch. Thanks again, Keith. See you next week on Tuesday.